0: Hello everyone out there. Welcome to the second episode of 3 and 3. This is the Dungeons & Dweebs podcast. Least favorite fourth chair Neil here trying his second attempt at recording this episode because I am not the techie one of the group. And it helps when you start recording if you turn the microphone on, is what I have found out. So that was kind of a mistake on my part. Thankfully I caught it before I got too long. Well, what this is, is our short couple episodes, or short in length episodes of trying to get some content out to you listeners, because during this time, we haven't quite resolved our new updated plan during the pandemic. So this is our little stopgap measure right now. And we had a couple people, at least the last time, who gave at least some comments. Um, Joe, thank you for getting the comment on there. Uh, The podcast, we're all doing pretty well right now. A little stressed out, you know. Otherwise, doing well. And Clint, I hope your friend that this is one of the things that he likes there, but maybe he'll jump in and have some comments about some of the things that I say that'll probably be wrong during this episode, I'm going to guess. And as I have mentioned here, we are working through the Sword of Truth series by Terry Goodkind. And again, the reason why I did this is recently the author passed away. And this is one of the books that I enjoyed throughout my teenage years and here as an adult going off. So, again, the format is that we have that I'll go through one good thing about the book that I really enjoyed, go through one not-so-good thing where, you know, ticky-tack, it could be my own opinion, or it could be stuff that I've also seen some people online, or even in this case, some things that my friends have commented on, go back to something good, two final not-so-good things, and then wrap up with one final good thought that I enjoy about the book. So, that's the plan. I know that I said that I wanted to get it about half an hour in the first episode. Well, I made it about 15 minutes. So a little bit more of a bite-sized chunk of content for you instead. And I've noticed that I've already said the word so a lot. So I promise, I said it again, that I'll try to minimize that so you don't have to hear it as often. Now, the first thing that I want to go off on here, and this is again, this is a positive thing. In the first book, I talked a lot about how Richard was very naive, and a lot of the things that he seemed surprised or shocked by with human nature and that sort of thing surprised him. Here, he finally starts to develop more of that hardened personality a little bit. He's still a pretty nice guy, and one of the things is, as a former Woods guide, he keeps that sense with nature a lot more, and it shows when he befriends one of these creatures that he was supposed to kill, but he didn't, and... Uh, Not getting too much into the nature part of thing, but I wanted to point out how he starts to finally develop as a warrior and a wizard at the same time. And one of the things that he does during this time is, as he's being captured, and again, spoilers, I'm not going to go over a full synopsis of the book like we normally do and that sort of thing, but spoilers are definitely going to be there. And during this time, he is taken by the Sisters of Light to head back to the Palace of Prophets so that he will be able to be trained because he's spoken of in prophecy and they want to train him in being a wizard. And during their path, when they have to go this way, there's a... I don't remember the specific name of this one, but there's a village that they have to pass through, and to be able to pass through it, he has to uh, rape one of the women that they have captured, and he doesn't want to do this. And his choice is that instead, he will free her, and he's bringing her back to her hometown. And On the way, it turns out that even though she wanted to be freed, there was an ulterior motive, is that the people of her town or village will have to kill him, even though he saved her life. And these are the Bakuban mana. And to do this, they have warriors that train day and night with their swords, and that's all they do. And during this, Richard finally uses the Sword of Truth to its full potential, where with the sword, he's able to actually communicate with the spirits who have used it before. And even though these 30 warriors are the best of the best, uh, Richard is able to start doing what is later known as the dance with death as he is talking with the spirits, able to learn from the skills that they had, and they help him defeat all these 30 men, and they are able to survive. And even though it's already book two now, we've already established that Richard, it's not necessarily his fighting prowess at this point, so much as who he's talking to, who's used the sword before. And I like that it's, yes, in a lot of... um, books, and especially a lot of fantasy books and that sort of thing, a lot of times they warp speed from their skills to knowing all the max type of ability of things. Here it's saying, okay, he has the skills, but at the moment he's pulling more from other people, not necessarily his own skills. And I liked that idea that he was using the spirits of the dead. Now, one of the bad things, okay, and I'm gonna talk about this one, and this is one that was more one of the things one of my friends noticed. Now, my friend, he has read all the books, he enjoys them. He's borrowed some of mine. I don't think he has turned them all back into me yet. But anyway, his wife tried to start reading them, and she said, well, they're good, but they're sorta rapey. And I hadn't thought of that before, and then looking back on it, seeing in this book, okay, I get where she was coming from in saying this. You have Richard during that one moment where, as part of his passage, that's what he has to do. On Kaylin's side, as she is, and I will get to her part a little bit here, probably my next spot, or the the final spot is going to be one of hers, is that she is captured by one of people who are supposed to protect her, and that is his goal, is that he wants to rape her. And... It's being portrayed as the spirits are talking to him and telling him to do this, but it's a focus of this is what they want. And like I said, the first time, th- first times through I hadn't read it, I didn't realize it. But now looking back at it in book one, book two, in parts of book three, in parts of book four, in parts of book five, in par- it's book six, almost every single one has one of those scenes. And I know that a lot of the argument is going to be from certain people is that Alright, during these fantasy times and medieval times, that was an occurrence of people who, when they would pillage a place, that was part of their end goal. That was their seen as their reward of victory. And, for example, you see it a lot in the Game of Thrones, um, sorry, Song of Fire and Ice novels, where that's what is expected of the victor, or what the victors expect that they are allowed to do from their commanders, that their commanders will let them. And looking at it now, it is pretty obvious that it is there quite a bit. And this is the first one where I definitely started noticing it more after she had said that. Now, back to one of the other good things, because you've always got to have some good things here. When Richard goes to the Palace of the Prophets, their main goal is to train him to be a wizard. And he meets a young man there. And if you have read the books, you know that I say young very much tongue-in-cheek right now. And he meets a young man named Warren. Now, Warren, as I was getting ready to record this episode, I thought of what I would attribute to an idea of how Warren would look to me. And the only thing I could think of was from the original Power Rangers was Billy Cranston of the Blue Ranger, who is this perpetual nerd who is sitting there doing most of the studying types of things. They're preparing everything for everyone else. That is kind of how I viewed Warren. He is definitely a book smart character. He is always... Uh, has the quick answer to things, and he's very unsure of himself. Throughout this book and going forward up until I think I want to say book six, please don't quote me on that, and I'll get there ahead of t- or towards that point. But um Warren, the way he develops as a character is amazing. He is, first off, you know, stuck in his little library. He doesn't want to go outside. But Richard, because he's good with people, which again, going back to that thought of the last book of how he was so naive that he wasn't good with people, but now he is good with people again. He is good with people to the point where he ends up helping Warren finally break out of his shell. He gets Warren to go outside, even though it's, you know, short amounts of time, but he helps Warren develop as a character. And one of the, sorry, if you heard that loud click, I was hitting something on the table. One of the things that um, Richard helps him do is helps Warren pass the final test of being a wizard, because that's what the Palace of Prophets is doing, is training young men to be wizards or young women to be sorceresses as Sisters of Light. And he helps to get Warren to that ability of being able to pass his final test. And the final test is a test of pain. And the way that Warren ends up going through this test of pain, and yeah, this is definitely a spoiler. Um, Richard, the pa- okay, I got to explain a bit more. The Palace of Prophets, on this island, time moves differently. So Warren is actually not this young man. He is very, very old. One of the other people on the same island, the prophet Nathan, who's actually a relative of Richard's, he is almost a thousand years old, and he still looks to be like a 60, 50-year-old man. So time passes very slowly, and Richard realizes that as he's here, he can't get back to Kaylin, because by the time he gets out, she'll be dead. So Richard starts this whole plan of trying to escape, and during this, one of his teachers, more so one of his tutors, um, her name is Pasha, and Warren has had and nursed a crush on her for a very long time. Well, Pasha has been um, spoken to by the Sisters of Dark, who are apparently this hidden group that couldn't be seen, but the prelate didn't know that they existed. Anyway, she thinks that Richard is the one who's been killing all these different people on the island, and she starts trying to hurt him and gets prepared to kill him. And Warren, even though he's just met Richard for maybe months, realizes that, Richard is the one who's telling the truth, and he ends up killing Pasha by causing her to be blown off of a banister and falling to her death, and this is his test of pain because of the feeling that he had for this woman and then having to kill her, and that kind of breaks the bonds that Warren is under, and as he goes forward, he is one of my favorite characters in the series. Now, we have two not as good things, okay? The first one is very similar to one of the things that I mentioned in the last book, and that is bringing up the wizard's rules. Now, if you remember in the first book, the first wizard rule was, and I'm gonna, I'm directly quoting now, r- almost roughly quoting, okay? People are stupid. They believe things mainly because they either want them to be true or fear them to be true. So that one I thought was really good because it's true that people do believe a lot of things like that. The second one here is harm can result from good intention, so the whole idea of uh, even though you'll do the good good thing, sometimes the greatest harm results from the great best intentions. And in this case, when Richard stopped Dirk and Rall from opening the boxes of, or from unleashing the magic of Orden in book one, what ends up happening is that he's ripped the veil of the underworld, so the underworld might be able to come through again. And to do this, he has to find the Stone of Tears go figure with the title there, and be able to find a way to send it back into the Underworld. And it kind of annoys me that, all right, so his intention was to stop Dark and Roll in the first book. But by doing that, he did something worse. And I get it. I I do get that, that a lot of times you will try something, but sometimes it's not going to result in the best thing. But on this one, the choice was either... In at this point in the story, sorry, uh, people who've read the whole series will understand what I say by at this point in the story. Richard thought that if Dark and Rawl opened the correct box, this is what would happen, and the world would be wiped out except for Dark and Rawl and his followers. In truth, as we'll find out towards the very last book, is that that's not actually what would happen. But Richard's two choices were either let Dark and Rawl conquer the world or nothing. I mean, that's really it. He'd conquer the world or he would save the world as best he could. He chose to save the world as best he could and he didn't know what the consequence of that would be. And quite frankly, I mean, I'm fairly certain most people in that situation with that knowledge would take the choice of save the world. Hopefully there are people who are running on an evil alignment like some people in d d campaigns. So this rule kind of annoyed me a little bit, especially when we got the stone being forced into the world from that way. At the end, it ends up being that Since because of Richard's mistake, instead of sending the stone into the underworld, he had to put it back on himself and not on his father who came back as a spirit. And really, it was fine. Not the best type of ending for me for these books. Even though this book is one of my favorite ones, the ending was kind of weak for me. And that was part of what had happened there. The last of the downside type of things for me is the fact that... and some people are gonna, I'm hoping that people who listen to this actually will have a better understanding of this of me, and they will be able to call me out on it, and I do want that, is that Richard is what is known as a war wizard. This means he has two sides of the gift. He has the additive, the same side that Zed has from the last book, and he has the subtractive side, the taking away of things that Dark and Raul had in the first book as well. And because of this, he is called a war wizard. He is this ancient type of wizard that he can master both sides. But we later find out in the other books that people in the olden days had both sides and they were just called wizards. They weren't called war wizards. I feel like I missed something about how his version of the gift is different than the olden days. But his the version of war wizard kind of sticks with me a little bit of he's the same as others, but he's different. I mean, maybe they saw that the lines of the magic were ending, and that's why he was considered a future War Wizard. Maybe that's a new title that got made. But I don't remember seeing where that spot was at in any of the books. And hopefully someone, again, will be able to correct me on that thought. Continuing with my thought of War Wizard. Now, one of the things that it says for Richard is that as a War Wizard, he his gift is mostly through his um, passion and need. If he needs all of a sudden... All, if he needs something, all of a sudden he will have the gift and boom be able to do it. Well, that kind of sounds like a very convenient plot device of if I need something to be done, I'll be able to do it to me. And that the power level of this kind of aggravated me a bit in book four when we get to Temple of the Winds, I will bring up one of the other parts about how he kind of Terry, or how uh, Terry Goodkind kind of covered over this, but that's not until around book four. So at this point, War Wizard, that title kind of annoys me knowing what they've said about the past and what is currently going on in the present. And the final good thing comes from the other side of the story where we have Kaylin, who after Richard was taken away to the Palace of Prophets, Kaylin's story is that she is going to try to head back to the Midlands where her home is and try to rule from there while waiting for Richard to return. And what has happened, three of the mud people, and that is their actual name from it, and I don't like that title for them, go with her, and on their travels, they come into this city where it's been completely destroyed by what we later find out is a smaller splinter cell of what's called the Imperial Order. Even though these are a lot of Daharans, but they're Imperial Order troops, and the Imperial Order will end up being the big bad of the whole, well, one of the big bads of the whole end game of this series. And... She comes up upon it, they've sacked the city, they've killed everyone, and they end up coming upon this group of soldiers from the um, town of Galia. And correction on pronunciations if you need to. And anyway, the Galeans, there are like 5,000 of them, and they have a plan that they are going to try their best to kill and wipe out all this Imperial Order troops, even though they're vastly outnumbered. They have, and they're basically teenagers, but since they saw the horror in this town... They want to try their best to get revenge on their people. Now Kalen and the Mud people basically say, You don't really have the skills, but we can help and start show you how that you would have to win this war. And throughout the whole time, it's guerrilla-style tactics. They do things, they hit, they leave, they hit, they leave, they do as much as they can. And in the end, even though they suffer great losses, the Galeans are able to finally wipe out that splinter cell group of the Imperial Order. And they are able to get to that point. And I really like showing that Kaylin is not going to be the pretty, pretty princess type character who sits in the back and doesn't do anything. She is going out there and getting her hands dirty for everything that she does. And I really like that development of her character. And even having to um, talk to people who she's not a fan of. For example, one of the mud people who is with her, he cannot stand her is my best description. He can't stand her at all. And slowly throughout their time working together, they come to a much better understanding of each other. And this also ties to her character. And like I said, I think in the first one, Kaylin and Richard, both are very strong characters, but I personally at this point really liked Kaylin a lot better because of what she was doing on her side of things. So that was the second episode for for Wizards, or sorry, ah, Sword of True Series by Terry Goodkind, Stone of Tears. If you have any comments or questions that we may or may not have covered here, please let me know. And again, Dungeons & Dweebs on Facebook, our Twitter spot. We have a Gmail one somewhere, but I don't know where it is. If you have those comments or stuff, and even correct me on my War Wizard thoughts there, I would love to hear from those different things. Please give us those shoutouts, and I'll try to cover some of those at the start of the next episode. In the meantime, I will hopefully drop the next episode next week. Hope that you all have a good night or day wherever you are.